Well, let's pray, and we're going to pray for Pastor Rick in Singapore as well, and then we'll uh, jump into our time together this morning. Father, thank you for your grace. Uh, thank you for the, the incredible privilege that it is to be your children. We're humbled by that. We, we know that we bring nothing to the table to have motivated you to do that. It's just your grace. It's your kindness. It's your love, your mercy, and it's your glory. So help us, Lord, in, in all aspects of our life to live for your glory. We pray for Pastor Rick. Pray for his ministry in Singapore, that it would be highly effective, that as he preaches, God, your word would be uh, sharp and, and incisive, Lord, for the, the needed effect in, in those who hear him. We pray for endurance for Pastor Rick, for strength for him, and that you would uh, bring him back safely to us to continue to minister to us here. In our time together, Lord, I pray for your blessing, that your spirit would be active taking what we see and read in your word and making it alive, making it heavy and weighty in our hearts and in our minds. Give us discernment as we seek to apply and to understand, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hopefully this is not going to be news to you since we've had uh, several church-wide conversations about this over the course of uh, the, the past few months, but... Mission Road is undergoing some changes come January. In January, we're making a significant change to our body life structure here at the church, and, and this is kind of what it's going to look like. On the Sunday nights in a given month, the, the services are going to look a little differently in the nights. On the, the first, the third, and then the odd fifth Sunday, uh, we're going to have service here just like normal, and the fifth will be the, the, the fifth Sunday family fellowship time. But on the second and fourth Sunday nights, we're going to be having care group meetings. Now, we need to define care groups. We call them small groups, home groups. Uh, there, there's multiple names for them, but we've chosen to call them care groups. And here's how we've defined them. A care group at Mission Road is a group of 14 or fewer church members, that's the goal, uh, who interact on a regular basis for the sake of fellowship and the corporate pursuit of sanctification like we see in Hebrews 12, verse 14. The elders, the care group leaders, and every member of the church are involved in this co-shepherding process. Jesus Christ, who designed it as a primary means of growing in grace, has put this process, this co-shepherding process, into place and intends for it to be a top priority for his redeemed people. So that's care group Y in a nutshell. And on these nights, the, the church is going to be closed. Church is going to be dark. There won't be anything happening here. And over the Kansas City metro area, members from Mission Road are going to be meeting in people's homes. Again, on the second and fourth Sunday nights starting in January. Um, they're going to be meeting in people's homes, seeking to live out a biblical pattern of relationships. And this is a significant change. It's significant for our body. It's, it's significant because, well, on the first hand, it's a departure from what has been a, an over 50-year tradition of every Sunday night we have a service here, a corporate service. It's also significant because it lessens the opportunity to worship corporately together two times a month. 
And those are significant. So something that significant must have a driving impetus behind it. And as you see in our mission statement time after time, the elders seek to have the driving impetus behind everything that we do be what we see in God's word. So this driving impetus must be shaped and informed by the Bible. So it's my desire this morning to make sure that we all, as a church body, understand the motivation behind this change and how to embrace the change, uh, not, just, not just with reticence or uh, a reluctance or kind of just a sense of resignation. Well, this is, this is what's happening, so might as well make the best of it, but to embrace it with eager anticipation and really wholehearted participation. So in a nutshell, the motivation behind this change is the elder board's growing understanding of what the biblical pattern of relationships is. How the Bible describes the way we as Christians ought to live with one another. And as we've grown in our understanding of this, we've seen the value of making this structural change as an effort to conform ourselves as God's church to God's will for us as we see it expressed in his word. So before diving into the understanding of these biblical relationships, I think it's helpful if we take a look at, at what is kind of considered the norm around us, the, the relationships of the world. I think this, this normal exerts a lot more influence on us than we might know or be aware of. So regarding the relationships of the world, I want to take a moment and just think Think about the relationships that you see around you at work, in your neighborhood, even at home, amongst your family, depending on, on, on the, the state of, of faith and salvation of those in your family. Think about those relationships that you typically experience outside of the church and regrettably often seem to experience within the church. As I did that, these are some of the characteristics that popped into my mind. Okay, some of these should be construed as negative, and some of them should be understood to just be incomplete or insufficient. Some of the characteristics were this, distant. A lot of these relationships are often shaped by, by the digital world, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or texting or Snapchat or whatever the case may be. Relationships are often conducted with a comfortable buffer between the people that are involved. There's a distance between them. They're characterized by fun. They are often fun, but they're often oriented around fun as well. If a relationship veers into the realm of, of something that, that is not fun, not enjoyable, then it, it tends to become strained. It brings some conflict, or it might even just fizzle and, and go away. Related to that, there's an, there's an idea of commonality. Relationships are formed around a common interest, things that people like to do together, hiking, rock climbing, um, shopping, coffee, sports, politics, you name it. If there's that common bond, then those relationships are often founded around it, and it holds them together. There's an immediate aspect to it as well. A lot of the times, the focus is on now. In the midst of these relationships in the world around us, one's embrace of those relationships is often contingent upon what benefit can I get from it now or in the very near future. 
that are also oriented around convenience. People value relationships that don't create a hassle. They appreciate the way someone makes them feel. They appreciate what someone can do for them. But when a relationship in the world around us gets difficult or inconvenient, becomes a struggle, maybe annoying, or even just changes into something that they weren't expecting, then that relationship often ends. Finally, there's an autonomous aspect to it as well. See, there's usually a proper understanding of people who are involved in these relationships. There's the understanding that we can have fun and we can enjoy stuff together and we can do things together, but if you cross this boundary of authority, if you cross this boundary of where I am in my life and where you are in your life, then then we understand we're we're not to do that. Don't tell me how to do something or what I should do or what methods I should take in life, challenges across those boundaries in any area, whether it's religion, whether it's finances, parenting, ethics, morals, methods, faith, any of those types of things are often received with hostility and immediate rejection in these world relationships. And this list could continue, but we want to move into an understanding of the biblical relationships and see the contrast there. But the overarching arching summary word of these relationships, the, the, the normal around us. The overarching word is selfish. It's blatant and it's subtle. It's known and, and frankly, I think it's unknown. And I think it, it can be rife within church as well. Most often on the unknown and the more subtle ways, but nevertheless still there. Relationships, the bulk of them that surround us are founded upon and crafted by the priority of self. And I want you to consider yourselves. What is your heart's tendency? What's the, what's the natural thing? And I'll, I'll confess to you, my, my heart's tendency is to engage in these types of relationships. It's easy, it's safe. It's comfortable. It's, it's enjoyable. And that's where, that's where my heart naturally goes. I would hazard a guess that that's, that's where most of us tend to go if left to ourselves. But the question is, is that what God intends for us in our church? and our relationships with one another, and that's going to be the focus. I want to talk about, I want to look at what the Bible has to say about our relationships with one another. Not with the world, that's a different study, and frankly would probably be shorter and easier. But I want to look at what does the Bible say about our relationships with one another? How does God say that we should relate to one another as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? I want you to look around you, literally look around you, okay? The people beside you to your left and to your right, okay, behind you, in the front of you, if these people have repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ as the crucified and resurrected Lord and Savior, then they're family, They're blood-bought, they're redeemed, and they're loved and valued by God just as much as anyone else who falls into that category. 
whether they're easy to get along with or whether they're hard to get along with. And yes, that happens in the church. Whether you enjoy them or whether you're aggravated by them. And yeah, that happens too. Whether you understand them or not. That even happens in marriages, right? This, this woman. I, oh. Whether they're in the same stage of life or a different stage. Whether they're in the same socioeconomic bracket or a different one. Galatians 3, 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So all who are in Christ are on the exact same footing. So as you look around you at your church family, how does our Father in heaven desire that our relationships with one another play out? So that's what we're going to look at now, the relationships of the church. A large portion of the New Testament commands and instructions regarding these relationships are expressed through one another's, which you can see some of them up there. We've seen the list before, but it's always helpful to review. So we're going to take a look at a representative list of what the Bible says about how we are to conduct ourselves with one another. And because I know you've seen them all before, we're going to read them together out loud, and hopefully that will make sure and engage you with what we're doing here, okay? We're not going to read the scripture references together. That'll get a little tedious, and I just put them up there so that you know these are from the Bible, okay? This is, this is the Bible that we are reading together. We're going to read it out loud and in order, again, skipping the references. So let me make sure we're on the same page. Yes, good. All right, so let's begin. Don't judge one another. Accept one another. Confess your sins to one another. Build up one another. Be of the same mind as one another. Comfort one another. Employ your spiritual gift in serving one another. Pray for one another. Be devoted to one another. Be at peace with one another. Encourage one another. Don't become boastful in challenging one another. Don't become boastful in envying one another. Be kind to one another. Abound in love for one another. Now, get used to this. This is going to go on, okay? So speak up, engage, let's participate, read the scripture together. I forgot where we were. What did we just say? Abound in love? Okay, so we're at fervently love. Here we go. Fervently love one another from the heart. We have fellowship with one another. We are individually members of one another. Love one another. Regard one another as more important than yourself. Bear one another's burdens. Instruct one another. Serve one another. Do not lie to one another. Bear with one another. Teach and admonish one another. Don't repay one another with evil. Have the same care for one another. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Don't forsake assembling with one another. Do not speak against one another. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Do not complain against one another. 
show forbearance to one another, give preference to one another. Do not bite and devour one another. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Seek the good of one another. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Wow. That's not even all of them. But that is a lot of instruction. And that's what it is. So we're a church family, right? And as a church family, we have a heavenly father. And now I'm the father in my family, and so I set the code of conduct. I set the rules. I, I instruct my children in how they are and are not to behave toward one another, toward me, to their mother, to my wife. I, I instruct them in, in the ways of how they're to treat the furniture, of how they're to treat the car, of how they're to pick themselves up after one another, of how they're to, to be kind to one another. And since the parenting conference, how to engage with each other as different genders. My son, my son has so much to learn. <laughs> but I give instruction. And in the same way, God gives us instruction. He gives us directives our Father gives us directives as a church family for how we're to relate to one another, and those are what we just read. So that whole list, list and more is God's household code that we're to obey and follow. If we don't, what is that called? Disobedience. Disobedience. That's what I would tell my children. No, you hit your sister. I've instructed you not to hit your sister. That is Disobedience. I've instructed you to be kind. You are not. That's disobedience. And disobedience is sin. So we need to think about that for a moment. When was the last time that you bore someone's burden? When was the last time that you admonished someone? When was the last time that we actively sought the good of someone here? Actively sought the good. Are there any lasting grudges or bitterness amongst us? Do we complain about one another? If so, we're breaking the code. We're breaking God's instructions. We're sinning. We're in disobedience. We're disregarding God's will for us as his children. Now, why does God care? What gives with all these instructions? See, the Lord actually has a very, very vested interest in his church and in how the people in the church interact with one another. Turn over to Ephesians 3, 10. And in case you can't tell, we're, I'm breaking, breaking structure a little bit here, and we're not planting in one particular text, but we're looking at the biblical pattern of relationships. Take a look at Ephesians 3.10. And we'll, we'll look starting actually in verse 8. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ 
and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So this is, we're coming up on why Paul is preaching the gospel. And he says this in verse 10, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. The church and the conduct of us, our conduct within the church body displays God's manifold wisdom because only God bringing us together could result in all those things actually happening within the church family. And so God cares because his reputation is on the line in the church. When God's children live in the way that God instructs us to live, then God's manifold wisdom is put on sparkling display. When God's children disobey those instructions and don't live in such a way, then God's display of his wisdom is is stifled or, or even sometimes negated if you think about the fact that sometimes we bite and devour one another and those types of things. So when his children, contrary to those natural tendencies, obey, God is glorified. And that's why God cares. That's why God gives instruction because this is one of the ways that he draws glory and honor and praise to himself. And so if we think about that list of one another's, if we, if we were to characterize them much as we did the, the characteristics of the, the relationships of the world, what are some of the words that describe them? Biblical relationships are involved. Okay, there is no lone wolf in this Christian life. You cannot be isolated and live the Christian life that God has prescribed. You might think you are. You might even be, be learning a lot of Bible and be praying a lot, but you are not living the life that God calls you to. There is no lone wolf. There is involvement in these biblical relationships. They're long-term. God wants us to be in relationship for the present and the future good of those who are around us. We should be in these relationships with the intention that our impact on them will have ripples into eternity on their behalf. What what does Paul call the Thessalonians? He says, you are my crown, you are my joy, you are my glory. He knows that as he serves them, as he interacts in this biblical relationship with them, it's going to have impact into eternity for him and for them. That's the thought. Not what can I get out of it now. That's, That's temporary, that's immediate. That's the world's perspective. But God's prescription for the church is that we think long-term. It's also that we be sacrificial. We should be willing to pursue these relationships even when it's inconvenient or painful, difficult. This is a primary way that the Lord sanctifies us all, being in relationship with one another, because frankly, it gets messy and hard and dirty sometimes. But this is what God calls us to sacrificial involvement with one another. They're intentional as well. Knowing, as we said before, that this is the Father's instruction for us, we should pursue these things. We don't sit around waiting for these relationships to just drop into our lap. 
We have to look around us and say, you, I will pursue you. I will take this biblical instruction for how I ought to be, and I'm going to do it with you. We pursue them with purpose. They're intimate as well. There's an openness and an honesty that has to be present. <laughs> this, is, this is one of the, the more frustrating things about uh, particularly evangelical Christians in, in America is the, uh, hey, how you doing, brother? Good. How are you, brother? Good. Great. Hey, have a good week. And that often is the extent where inside, in that interaction, inside, more often than not, there is a pain. There is a hardship. There is a sin there is something that needs to be dealt with on that relational level, and we just kind of give it the, hey, how you doing? Good. I'm good. How are you? Great. Oh, good. And that's, that's our relationship. But there's intimacy here. Burdens must be known in order to be born. Joys and sorrows have to be shared in order to be, to be carried with and to be wept with and to be rejoiced with. Pain has to be known in order to be helped. Needs have to be spoken in order to be met. There has to be an openness and an honesty there. They're loving. And this is the quality that shapes them all as we see in 1 Corinthians 13. These are relationships that are fueled by love. By the fact that we love our Father and we want to obey Him and as we look around at our church family, we want to love each other. That's the informing drive. And again, this list could go on, but we want to continue forward. As, as selfish was the summary term of the, of the relationships of the world, selfless would have to be the summary term of the biblical relationships. Living these things out in relationship is hard. It's messy it's tiring. It's painful. You can see why, why Tim Keller said, everyone says they want community and friendship, but when that means accountability and commitment, they run the other way because it's difficult. But it's also obedient. It's also joyful. It's also enriching, and it's eternal. So we've seen a biblical description of the relationships God desires, looking at all those one another's. The question is, how do these play out practically? Look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 as an example. First Thessalonians 5, <clears throat> 14. But again, we'll, we'll, we'll drop back to verse 12. So Paul is speaking to the church as a whole. He says, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So that's the body's relationship to the leadership, to the elders. And then he turns to each other. He says, Live in peace with one another. Verse 14, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays evil, uh, another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. So as you get to know people and where they're at in life, you know how to interact with them on a biblical level. Those who are unruly or out of line 
with the biblical standard of living, the tendency is to be, uh, I hope somebody else deals with them or go and tattle on them to the elder and say, this guy really needs to be dealt with. He's way out of line. But biblically, you admonish them. You instruct them and counsel them on how to get back in line. Those who are faint-hearted or discouraged, the tendency is, again, I hope somebody else deals with them. Or, or maybe talk to them for a couple minutes and say you'll be praying for them and then encourage them to set an appointment with Pastor Rick. But the biblical response is that you encourage them. You console them. You comfort them in their faith, in the character of God and their relationship with him. Those who are weak or powerless, as Paul says, the tendency, again, hope somebody else deals with them. Maybe have a conversation with them until you realize, wow, this is going to take a lot of work. And then encourage them to set an appointment with Pastor Rick. But the biblical pattern here is that you help them. You are devoted to them is what it says. Help, be devoted to one another. Stay devoted to them until they gain their strength and their power. And sometimes that takes years So do you see how, how, uh, how something like a care group can be helpful in this? How do you know if someone is unruly or weak or discouraged unless you know them? How will you have any sort, of, any sort of hypodermic with which to inject the medicine they need unless you know them? You have to know people, and, and one person can't know everybody. Pastor Rick can't know everybody. Even, even the, the uh, how many do we have working together? Like nine, ten elders working together can't know everybody to this level. But if everyone knows a few people, then everybody's engaged in this type of knowing and, and, and instructing and admonishing and encouraging and helping and bearing with, and rebuking, and all those things. It's a body ministry. Now, uh, you might say, I thought this was the elder's job, or isn't that what we pay the pastors for? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Curtis Thomas points out, he says this, he says, often we think of the staff as the professional Christians at the church who are supposed to be the ones who conduct God's business through the church. They are the ones who should do the preaching, administer the ordinances, visit the sick, make home visits, preach the funerals, perform weddings, do the counseling, and take care of the administration areas of the church along with a host of other duties. The members are often looked upon as those who attend, pay the expenses by their contributions, vote on who will serve as pastors and elders because they're the one and the same, and then decide when there should be a change in the relationship. But Ephesians 4, turn there, Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. It makes the relationship quite clear when it says this, if I can find it. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, it says this, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service or ministry. That's where we get the word deacon right there, service or ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So you can see there, Jesus gave pastors and teachers, elders, to the church for one main purpose, to equip the church body, you, 
for the work of the ministry, which is more than tasks. It's more than uh, organizing a kid's program. It's more than taking the trash out. It's more than setting up or tearing down tables. It's those things and it's exercising your involvement in biblical relationships with one another. Our goal as pastors and elders is to equip you so that you're able to carry out that ministry. Your goal is to carry out that ministry. And it's a ministry that is designed and intended to be in personal ministry context. And you have to be in relationships to carry out this ministry. So how do care groups factor into this? Care groups are one way to accomplish this. The goal is these relationships. And care, group is an av- care groups are an avenue which the elders desiring to equip you for that work of ministry, we've chosen that to facilitate the kind of relationships that God desires us to have. Some people can find and develop these relationships outside of something like a care group or a small group. That, that's feasible. But most can't especially in this Sunday morning conflict uh, context. I mean, we're talking over 400 people at Mission Road now in two services with a Sunday school in between. There, there's, there's time limits. There, there's contact limits. There's so many limitations to that that, that the feasibility is, is, is low of being able to develop these kind of relationships. We can have the kind of relationships that say, hey, brother, how you doing? Good, brother, how are you? Great. Hey, have a good week. How about them chiefs? Uh, we can do that. But difficult to carry out the one another's on, on a Sunday context. So our intention two years ago in building care groups and our goal now in emphasizing body life in these care groups is to open the doors for all the members of Mission Road to be involved in God-honoring biblical relationships. The desired effect is that care group members are known by one another. Conversations about life, theology, family, work, struggles, victories, all can take place more easily in a care group setting. Uh, the, there's a natural place to develop the Titus II type mentoring relationships. As you get to know one another in those contexts, then, then that's the springboard for an older man, an older woman, taking a younger man, a younger woman, and saying, hey, I want to invest in you. I want to live this life with you and teach you, whether from what I did badly and learned from or from what I did well and learned from. The desired effect is that care group members are cared for by one another. Maybe a family has a new baby arrive and they need some babysitting, they need some food, they need some some laundry done. Um, The care group knows that. The people can meet that. Maybe an older couple needs help with the house or, or, or yard work. And there's a younger couple in the, in, the, in the group that knows this and says, I, I know this person. I know where they're at. I know their need. I can go and meet that. I can care for them. A younger couple might need some time away from the kids. I can never relate to that one, but uh, a night out, a weekend off. As you see each other in life, you can realize that and then care for one another in those things. Maybe there's a bill that's just out of reach this month. And that can be known and cared for. The desired effect is that care group members are also counseled by one another. 
to hear that biblical perspective on marriage, on parenting, on working at a career, on dealing with difficult people, knowing God's will. How do I prioritize life? Help! Biblical discussions about those things can be carried out, should be carried out by us amongst one another as family, as brothers and sisters seeking to, to, to admonish, to instruct, to encourage one another in these things. Another aspect of that counseling is a loving rebuke of sin. As people get to know you, the more you know someone, the more you see their sin. And that's a wonderful thing because then you can lovingly confront it and encourage them to, to godliness, to repentance and, and greater faith. You can find encouragement in struggles and accountability and temptation. It's easy to feel isolated. Yeah, you, we have the corporate worship context and, and you walk out and you just feel isolated and, and yet there in that smaller group as you, as you know each other, you find out you're not alone. You're not the only one that deals with this. You're not the only one that deals with that. You can encourage each other. You can give each other insight into theology and biblical meaning and application. It doesn't always have to be, oh, I, should, I should call Pastor Rick about that. We're, we're all equipped. You are all equipped to discuss the Bible, to apply the Bible to each other, to yourselves. Now, care groups is not the only place that this can, this can happen, and, and people from different care groups are certainly allowed to, to cross-pollinate and to, and to serve and have relationship uh, from group to group. That is okay. But it's going to be natural as you get to know one another that those things are first found in a group because that, that's what happens as you know each other. As these relationships are created and strengthened, care groups are the natural place for the knowing and the caring and the counseling to begin. Now, because of the close commitment to the church and to one another that's inherent in the makeup of care groups, they're limited to members of the church. That's an easy step to, 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 to pursue and, and to fix. We can give an application and start walking through that process even now, and it settles many areas of hesitancy regarding commitment and accountability. I have, I have maps with me Actually, I think I forgot them in the office, but I can get them. I have maps with me of where the care groups are. If you want to talk about that, you can email me or call me. If this is provoking, convicting, encouraging, and interest in these things, then talk to me. And let's talk about how you can be involved in them. And it might sound overwhelming, but as we already alluded, we find, we find the source and the sustenance for these types of relationships in Christ, in the gospel. These types of relationships that God calls us to are hard, difficult, painful, intense. And yet, Jesus Christ, in order to save us, in order to draw us into relationship with himself, provided the example for the humility that we need, as Philippians 2 says, to live with one another. When we struggle with being selfless, we look to the ultimate pattern of selflessness, Jesus when we feel frustrated with serving, when we look to the Lord, God, who became a servant. Without a relationship with Christ, you can't fulfill these, these things. You can't, in your own strength, live out these types of relationships. But if you're saved, 
If Jesus Christ has come and washed your sin and you've repented and placed your faith in him, then by faith and by Christ's example, we can live that out. And we're instructed and commanded to live that out because we know the depths of the grace of Jesus. We know that as has been demonstrated through his sacrifice on the cross. We can take that example and we can turn it towards one another for the eternal good of one another and the eternal glory of God. So again, I encourage you with this. Consider this. Consider where you're at in life now, what your relationships look like, and consider what God says our relationships are to look like with one another and maybe what steps you can and need to take in order to obey your Father. Let's pray. Lord, these things make me so grateful for your grace and mercy for our Savior. Thank you for that demonstration. Thank you for the example of Christ. Thank you for the Spirit who lives in us and encourages and guides and convicts and sanctifies and all those things. Lord, bless our relationships. I pray, God, that you would make Mission Road a church where, where your manifold wisdom is just scintillating because of the, the depth and quality of relationships that we have with each other that orient each other and push each other towards Christ-likeness in all areas of life. Be gracious and work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.